Welcome to another exciting installment of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we shift our focus to the pressing topic that has become increasingly relevant in recent times, compliance best practices in the era of remote work. As the global landscape evolves, so do the ways we work. The pandemic has brought about a significant shift towards remote work in the defense sector, presenting both challenges and opportunities for compliance officers and executives. Throughout this episode, we'll explore the unique challenges faced by defense contractors when ensuring policy, adherence, data security, and effective communication during remote work. We'll provide practical advice and strategies to maintain compliance standards, nurture a skilled workforce, and adapt to the changing dynamics of the industry. Join us as we unravel the, se the secrets to success in maintaining compliance excellence while embracing the era of remote work. Let's dive into the world of defense contracting and discover how best practices can empower your organization to thrive in these unprecedented times. Get ready to gain valuable knowledge, engage in thought-provoking discussions, and equip yourself with the tools needed to navigate compliance with confidence. Let's hit it. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a, CMC, a CMMC certified professional assessor. So Mike, I think today's a good one. We're talking about remote work. On the heels of a global pandemic, many businesses have, have shifted to some form of remote work, whether it be a hybrid or full-time remote situation. So with that being said, well, first let me say, how are you today, Mike? Oh man, I'm doing great, Roman. How about you? Good, good, good. So. So with that, we'll go to the first question. How has the transition to remote work impacted compliance management in, in the defense sector? And what are the key challenges you have encountered? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, I think that all sizes of businesses are impacted by remote work. And certainly there are provisions within NIST SP 800171 that specifically call out, uh, you know, remote work. Um, so it's a it's a very important topic, maybe one of the first ones we should have covered, but I'm glad we're covering it today. Um, you know, I think that there's massive impact uh, for two reasons. Number one is, is that when you let a device in from the internet, which is the essential component of remote work, you know, you are risky in an IT system. You know, if everything is on a local internal local area network LAN, uh, hey, no big deal, right? That's one secure compartmentalized type of environment. And uh, you've got a firewall typically protecting that. Uh, but when you start letting people in from the outside as if they were inside, you know, what you're really doing is opening a potential gateway for anything from the outside to come in. So I think it's very important that, you know, uh, people understand that, that this is sort of the, the trap door, if you will, to vulnerability, um, you know, I think probably the most relevant thing to talk about are things like VPNs and um, you know, also uh, you know, remote desktop type sessions and things like that. Uh, that's usually the most common ways that people will be accessing things remotely. But you know, number one issue is uh, users demand it. Uh, you know, I don't know any CEO who can't work remotely, uh, including myself. Um, so I think that you know, there's no trying to fight it. If you are, you know, a defense contractor, you're going to have to embrace it. Nobody wants to go to the office anymore. Um, you know, manufacturing's got a little bit of an easier time with that because obviously there are things you need to be doing at the office. But uh, I think the other thing is I think businesses should embrace it, especially in defense, because ultimately, 
you literally have more work time. Uh, example is, you know, I have no drive to work in the morning, no drive to work, drive from work to home, and I have no lunch. I, I don't really do a lunch, right? So, like, you know, in my case, I eat, I eat at the house. You know, that's almost an hour and a half to two hours of non-wasted day for most people. Um, fewer interruptions, fewer people barging into my office to try to talk to me about things. It's a positive thing. It's a game. We just have to be secure about it. So two parts. One is, uh, even if you're working remotely, NIST SP800171 still applies to you and those users who are outside. There is certainly a control in there that says that you have to adequately protect uh, your CUI and, and uh, information and data at what are considered to be alternate work sites. Uh, there was some debate in the beginning about whether or not a home office is an alternate work site or not. And I think for each company, the definition sort of does vary a little bit. Generally speaking, if you have a main office and you've got people, you know, a handful of people who are working remotely, that's going to be considered a remote or an alternative work site. Uh, no, I do not think you have to secure your home like you secure an office, but it's not real far off. We have advised people, depending upon what work is going on at their home, to put up a security camera uh, in their home office, or at least have some sort of a camera to see who's coming and going from your house, uh, depending upon the work level that's going on. Again, you have to adequately protect that. Um, you know, alarm systems are another way of adequate protection. Uh, you ultimately have to really be able to justify the level of security at your home the same way you have to justify the level of security at your work environment. You know, at work, it's critical that you have cameras to see what people are coming in, when, et cetera. Uh, at your home, you know who's there. It's only you that has the key, maybe some family, but you still have to go and secure your office as well. So I think the home office is really the big, big challenge here. And you have to be able to demonstrate that you have technological safeguards that are adequate to protect that information. Do you have to have every control in place for a home office that you have for a uh, you know formal business office? The answer is no, because you don't have the level of risk there. And it is considered in most cases an alternate work site. So that's, you know, I think that's a very important thing to understand is, you know, do you have to keep the office of your house locked all the time? No, but if you don't, you better have some sort of alternate safeguard, like you need multi-factor authentication to get into your computer, uh, you know, so that a child or a guest of your home or something like that can't go in there and access government secrets. Um, so again, it's got to be adequate and you will be quizzed during a CMMC assessment or a, you know, or government assessment on you know what you have going on there and where people are working. It will be obvious when your office is half empty that uh, you know a bunch of people are working from home. So that's one thing you know to, to really consider is you know, what are the actual requirements and, and the ultimate requirement is if it's an alternate work site like your home, well then the requirement is for it to ultimately be adequately secured and that's how this works. <clears throat> Second thing is you've also got to make sure you know that when you're having people come in remotely, that they've got FIPS validation on the encryption in, in use. And this is a tough one because a lot of firewalls have to be put into a FIPS mode in order to have FIPS verified encryption or validated encryption in place. Uh, I know that it used to be the case, I don't know if it still is, but Sonic walls, you would actually have to reformat the firewall. And during the initial sort of setup of the firewall, you have to put those things into a FIPS compliant mode. There wasn't a way to just sort of toggle a radio button that it would use FIPS uh, encryption. Uh, very interesting setup. So I think uh, folks like Sophos and Fortigate have got that better figured out. And hopefully by this point, SonicWalls fixed that. Uh, but, you know, that's another big major consideration is you're required to have FIPS validated cryptography to protect 
uh, a network where CUI exists. And the VPN is one of the primary places where that happens. Now, if you're internal to the network, then you have the physical protection of the LAN itself and, and the secure building and things like that. FIPS is not meant to, to be the way you secure that. Um, but again, we were talking about work from home users. It's a really, really large consideration. So, uh, you know, how you're securing that connection is of vital importance. And then I think another, another consideration, because gosh, you know, Roman, we could spend all day, but I want to try to give a concise answer that delivers value for our audience. Um, I think another thing to consider is if it was me in my company, we issue out company devices for anyone who's going to access corporate information. Every single computer that touches any kind of uh, a system here, it's a company issued device and it's got our encryption on it. It's got our, uh, our device management on it. They're only allowed to do work-related things. They can't do personal stuff on it. That's by policy. Uh, there's just so much you know, security that we put on our devices that we don't have a concern about those connecting in. And we don't allow anything else to, um, to come into the network. As a matter of fact, we get alerted if there's anything that is not a company-issued device, uh, literally by MAC address that comes into our network. So I think that sort of thing is also very, very important uh, for us to consider. Um, you know, that we need to probably pay attention to what devices are connecting to our networks uh, and have control over that. Um, so again, that that's barely scratching the surface, Roman. I want to give you a, a you know, a, a reasonably paced answer there, uh, as I'm sure there are more questions coming. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And you and you touched on a lot of different, different things. So that's a that's a pretty nice segue. Uh, you know, you you mentioned laptops and VPNs and that kind of thing. So when so when employees are working from from anywhere, more technology, like you mentioned, is needed, whether it be webcams, Zoom meetings, laptops, VPNs, et cetera. In an era of remote work, and you touched on this a little bit, how how do you ensure that all employees are aware and adhering to compliance policies and procedures? Great question. Um, number one answer is training. Uh, I think training is the most underperformed thing that happens when it comes to DFARS and NIST SP-800-171. You know, the government issues some CUI mandatory training, they issue insider threat training, but it is on the company to emphasize not just once, but on an ongoing basis to their people, that security is a paramount piece of the operation. And I think that that's the number one thing that really needs to be done. You don't just train somebody once at onboarding and forget about it. It needs to be an ongoing reminder uh, so that people understand that there is a constant attempt to attack and uh, you know, dismantle the system by 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 random people out on the internet. And um, you know, I think people just don't believe that any you know sometimes. And so it's very critical that the company understands that ongoing information security training is really important. And it's part of NIST SP 800171. Um, I think you know the other part of that is policies. Uh, as a great example, we issue an alternate worksite policy to every client that we work with these days. You need to be dictating what is acceptable and what is not acceptable with your company equipment or what is and is not acceptable if they're going to bring their own device or use their own device from home. I really believe in that uh, so strongly because otherwise what happens is you find someone doing something silly or personal on the machine, you go to kind of reprimand them and they go, well, I didn't know I could do that. And that's a fair argument. I mean, if you don't set the policy, how do they know what they're supposed to be doing and what they're not supposed to be doing? That's a tough one. So I think the other thing is training 
and having great policies in place. I think these days we're delivering something like 16 different policies uh, with one of our compliance packages. Uh, that's a lot of policy. And you know what? I'll tell you, unless you've been through something like this, people don't have it. They just don't. Even big companies that we work with don't have the policies in place that they should, and they don't have a good way to roll it out to their people. And I think that's one of the things, you know, we actually made an application called Compliance Manager to fix that problem. Um, it was something that uh, we saw the issuance. We said, you know, we're going to build a platform that allows people to deliver that training, uh, you know, for their for their teams. And um, it's huge. It's just absolutely huge. Very important. Right. So, so you probably touched on this uh, as well. So I'll just have you diving even deeper into the security aspect. With your employees spread out all over the place, it may be easier to make a security error. Uh, data security is is critical in the defense industry. How do you maintain robust data security measures while employees work remotely? You've already touched on it a little bit, so feel free to expound on that even more. Sure. Yeah, I think in our case, it's actually easier. Um, I, I think that when you have everybody working remotely, and, and again, we have three physical offices and we have staff that are literally all over the United States. Uh, East Coast to West Coast. So we have kind of that weird hybrid approach where we do have three physical offices and these are traditional office spaces. And then we have, you know, a lot of remote people on top of that. For us, we look at it all the same. We secure it the same. We're issuing devices the same. Um, there is no difference between in office and out of office, except, you know, we certainly have more robust firewalls in our physical offices. To us, we're security focused. For us, it's easy. Uh, this is what we do every day, and security is paramount anyway. I think where it gets really tough is when you've got larger companies with hundreds of employees, and security is not what they do every day. And you know that's the majority of the people that we serve. And I think for those folks, uh, it really it becomes more difficult to set one set of policies and demand that everybody operate that way. The larger you get, the more you come up with uh, exceptions that have to be made or exclusions that have to be made. And I think it's in managing the number of exceptions where you really get security challenged. So I think one of the things that helps with that is when the CEO or an executive who's over the you know, information security operations portion of the business, when those people say, hey, I get it, this needs to be simple, it needs to be basic, and these things need to be universal. Um, that's where I think you get rid of the scope creep of turning information security into a huge job. If you can just run one or two sets of policies, let's say for basic users and then advanced users or executives, um, allowing them a little bit more freedom, and usually that's not even necessary, I think it becomes way easier to manage security as a whole. You know, you don't start needing a bunch of dedicated personnel and, and things like that. <clears throat> you know, I just generally think that at the end of the day, um, you've got to simplify the number of things that you're applying a security policy to. Uh, that is, is a huge, huge clue. Uh, the simpler it is, the smaller the number of group policies, the smaller the number of tools that you have to use to secure things, it's just so much easier to manage. And that's what I would advocate for is, no matter how big you get, you just have to find a way to have a small number of security policies that you're managing. Uh, and it's got to apply to as many people as possible. Uh, that's 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 great information. Uh, vital stuff about keeping your information safe, whether you're in the office or out of office, and the importance of setting clear boundaries for for what company 
equipment is used for so that you don't end up with that situation like you mentioned of oh i didn't know i could do that and then you run the risk of a security error and other kinds of problems so you know what's co what comes next we we touched on we touched on those those three very very important questions and you could call this last question important because it it, it ends us on a good note. Um, so as we mentioned, uh, Zoom calls are a big part of the remote work era. We're on a Zoom call right now. Uh, so have you ever caught someone's dog trying to breach compliance policies during a Zoom call? Uh -huh. uh, I will tell you actually uh, around our company, we're very dog friendly. And we actually do have a number of dogs who are um, regular team members, I will say. And uh, I think it brightens everybody's day. And, um, you know, the great thing about dogs is that they never give away the family recipe. So uh, I think, you know, very much like our friends over at Bush's Baked Beans, I have confidence that the, uh, that the dogs uh, who, uh, who are compatriots to the, to the team here at On Call, one, they brighten everybody's day, and two, we can trust them to never tell a secret. So uh, all, of it, all about it, man. You know, and, and again, if you're kind of listening to this, you know, I think I think in on call we're very fortunate in the way that we get to work because we are able to crush it when it comes to security and compliance. We're also able to make people's lives, generally speaking, much much better. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, again, it, it it just needs to be said that I think a big piece of this work from home thing is the idea that you can be around your pets, you can be around you know that which makes you comfortable. Um, you know, I got to tell you, you know, if we were if we were stacking all of our employees into one building, we have a pretty big building and we would have, you know, a pretty, pretty busy number of people going on here. Um, I, I think that's one way that, you know, you can kind of lose some of the work efficiency. It certainly creates a different kind of culture, but it also creates a lot of drama uh, sometimes. And I think that this is um, just a very interesting and kind of a better way to work. Now, that's my opinion. And again, remember, I'm not a manufacturer, right? We're a service-based business and um, you know, there's a lot that comes with that. And, uh, you know, I am only a certain percentage of the population that does, in fact, prefer to work from home. So it's not everybody that really kind of works like that. But for those people who can benefit, uh, you know, and ultimately be more productive, I think it's just a huge win. Like you mentioned, if they're not ones that prefer to work from home, there are multiple physical offices. But, uh, you know, I... I would be a little wary of that Bush's baked beans dog because unlike other dogs, he talks. So I, uh, you know, that that Bush's baked beans uh, baked beans dog could definitely spill the family secrets if he wanted to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, very true. <laughs> very true. Fortunately, ours don't. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You've got a talking dog. We might have to talk about compliance with the dog. Exactly. Exactly. It's a party trick, but it might be a problem for for defense work. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and the inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank Mike again for joining us and giving us his valuable insights and experiences with us. Thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure. And again, if you're, if you're one of those companies out there that is struggling to really figure out what adequate security means or you need some policies... Uh, or you're just trying to figure out all this DFARS and NIST and CMMC stuff. And, uh, you know, that's something that we help our clients with every day. So always happy to help here on the podcast. Absolutely. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. 
share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps to, helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.